I'm going to read uh, today our scripture passages from Isaiah 44. And even this morning, I was uh, just drawn to my attention that Isaiah 44 is written uh, in anticipation of one of the greatest crises in the history of Israel. Now, Now, most of us have never endured what Israel is about to go through, and yet the theme that is in Isaiah 44 is one of proclaiming joy. So with that setting, may the Holy Spirit add his blessing to the reading of his word. Isaiah 44, 21, remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains. O forest and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. And in Israel, he shows forth his glory. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Holy and gracious Father, we confess proudly before the entire world that there is none like you. What you have accomplished in our lives is amazing. You have loved us when we were often unlovely. You have redeemed us and given us new life. And we have come into your house today to worship you because you are worthy. You are the only one that is worthy of praise and honor and glory. And we have come hungry for you today. We desire to feel your presence. So please, Holy Father, by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, cleanse us. Forgive us as we repent of our sins and turn away from them. Draw close to us, Holy Spirit, so that we may know your love and your peace, that you may give us joy that is beyond human understanding. We have no time, no desire for anything less except to feel your presence and know your goodwill. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think sometimes the modern church kind of gets a bad rap as people that just don't know how to have any fun, we don't know how to smile. We're often about all the things that you shouldn't do, you know, the thou shalt nots, but I just don't think it's true. I don't think it should be anyway, because above all, we believers have every reason to rejoice, don't we? I was, uh, if you're in a joy deficit this week, I, I want you to know that this message is for you, because I believe that the will of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for you, is that we would know joy in him and that it would be overflowing. Joy is an absolutely huge theme in the scriptures. Did you know the word joy is used 170 times? That makes it a big theme right there. And that doesn't account other words like joyful or delight or jubilant or any other kind of words like that. I truly believe, I know this is a bold thing to say, I know that some of you may be going through difficult times right now, but I believe that the default setting for Christians should be joy. So, 
Would you describe yourself as a person of joy? Would those around you describe you as joyful? Are you a half glass half full or half empty kind of person? Are you more a Tigger or an Eeyore? A Mary or a Martha? Because based on the scriptures, based upon my experience, based upon our shared future, I think we have every reason to be absolutely joyful. I almost saw a little bit of it in the choir. Actually, there was some. I'm not sure if it's in our policy manual. I think there was swaying going on in the choir at one point. May we sway away. Every once in a while, I think it's even all right to laugh. It reminds me of a pastor I heard about one time. and He said, uh, as part of the announcement, he said, I just want to remind you that there will be a meeting of the board immediately after the service today. And so after the service, you know, in the back corner of the church, is the habit of some churches, they gathered for the church board meeting. And, and uh, what was surprising was there was a first-time guest, somebody that had never been to the church before, and he kind of wandered back into that meeting. And no one knew what to say to him. You know, it's like, well, we don't want to discourage him. We're thankful he's here, but he doesn't need to be at the church board meeting. And, and so the pastor finally, <coughs> he said, uh, sir, we're thankful that you're here today, but did you not understand that this was a meeting of the board? The young man said, yeah, after today's sermon, I suppose I'm just about as bored as anyone else that came <laughs> to this meeting. It's good to laugh. Healing is found in laughter. But we need to understand today that there is a difference in the way that joy is experienced in culture and the way that we as believers experience it. For instance, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstances, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that's an incredible message. That's an incredible word that Paul offers. But even more so, as we remember, as we look at those words and realizing that Paul is writing those words from a prison cell at the very bottom floor of an absolute dungeon that was smelly and disgusting, and he was awaiting a trial that could result in his execution. And yet he is writing about being filled, about joy and peace in his life, even in that circumstance. And there's clearly a difference in the way that unbelievers and believers experience joy. We need to know what Paul's secret is. So let's, let's begin today by a, a definition of what a faith-filled joy looks like. The best definition that I've ever come across was written by Kay Warren. She said this, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. That is a profound definition for me. Isn't that good? So if we use that definition and compare it to a cultural joy and the way that Christians experience joy, it might look like something like this. Cultural joy, I think the best way to define it is, we have cake. You know, cake, it brings us joy, amen, says joy. We have cake, no one, you know, no one doesn't like cake, right? Except the scriptural joy 
is that we have peace, which is very much better. Cultural joy is fleeting. It comes and goes. But scriptural joy is eternal. It can begin for you today, and it can last all through eternity. Because why? Because God is in control. It is settled. It is done. Those are the words from the cross that Jesus said. It is finished. He will be in control forever and above all things. Cultural joy is dependent upon circumstance. But spiritual joy, scriptural joy, transcends circumstance. One of my favorite expressions is this. You know, everything is going to work out in the end. It all works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. I believe that to be true. Transcends circumstances. Cultural joy is found in people and places and possessions and position. I, I remember when I was in junior high school and I just didn't, wasn't a very happy kid. I wasn't one of the cool kids, you know, struggled a lot. And, and I just remember thinking if I could just be friends with the cool kids, you know, then I would be joyful. Then I'd be happy. If I just got that next job, if I just got that promotion, if I just lived in a better place, that's kind of a cultural joy. But that's not what we saw in the Apostle Paul's words. He said it's found in a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus. He said, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffer need. What's the secret, Paul? It's in the very next verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So listen, if you hear nothing else today, listen. Psalm 16 captures it so well. Psalm 1611 you will, make me know, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. Do you hear that? May the Spirit speak into your heart this very moment. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. In your presence. So if you are in a, a joy deficit right now, Go back, take a look at your life, and just ask yourself, how much time am I really spending in the presence of Lord Jesus? Where do we find joy? We find it in Christ. But let me offer some specific things that will kind of help us remember those things and bring joy. The first thing is this. Christian joy comes from the certain knowledge that we're saved. That's what Isaiah is saying. He said in Isaiah 42, you have not forgotten me. I want you to remember right now that the Lord God has not forgotten you. Wherever you are in your, in your life right now, whatever struggle you may be going through, remember this, it's the most important thing. God knows and God has not forgotten you. He loves you. Isaiah 42 has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. And in him we find salvation. 1 Peter 1.8 says it this way, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And you do not see him now, but believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Now stop for a minute. Because here's the danger of being a Christian. If I've been a Christian 10 or 15 or 20 years... We have to take our life off autopilot. We have to remember. Remember the words of the amazing grace. I was lost. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, I was lost. But now I'm found in Christ. I was blind. I remember that the world seemed 
pointless. It seemed hollow. It seemed gray. It seemed without color, meaning, or purpose. But in Christ, please take your life off autopilot and remember that now we can see I was dead. We were dead. I was running from God as fast and hard toward hell, an eternity of separation from light and love and God. But in Christ today, you and I have life and life abundant, life that will continue on. Peter said, greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Joy inexpressible. Listen, if you and I receive nothing else from Jesus Christ for the rest of our life except what he has already given, I can say that he has given me a million thousand times more than I could ever deserve. Except the wonderful thing is that our Lord and God is giving and loving and will always be. In the same way, the second thing we find, joy comes from a certain knowledge that we are heaven-bound. You and I are heaven-bound. Listen, have you ever said anything out loud, you were thinking it, and it was rattling around in your head, and you kind of lost track of where you are and what was going on, and then you realized that you had said something out loud that maybe was inappropriate in the moment? Raise your hand if, if anybody ever done that. I've only, I've only done that one time in my life. It was many years ago. As many years ago in my freshman class, Psychology 101, and the professor was going on and on, and he was saying how wonderful the world was, and how great man was, and look at all of the accomplishments of man, and isn't man wonderful? And before I knew it, I was lost in thought, and then these words came out of my mouth without even thinking, if this is all there is, I'm going to be terribly disappointed. And I looked up and I realized that every head in that big classroom had turned around to me. And I felt like crawling under a rock. But it was true. If this is all there is, I'm going to be very disappointed. But what I didn't understand at that time, what I didn't know were the words of Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything appropriate in his time. Now listen, he has also set eternity in their heart. And what that means to me is that every one of us is created with a God-sized hole in our heart that only God can fill. We can try to fill it with everything else the world has to offer. We can proclaim how great man is, but nothing will fill that God-shaped hole except Jesus Christ. We have been planted, created in our, in, our, in our existence, a desire, knowing that this is not our home, a desire to be home with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that while we're in this tent, we moan because this is in our home. And if this is all there was, beloved, then we would be the most pitied of all people. But thank God and rejoice because this isn't all there is. Colossians 1.3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Because why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
And by the way, when we say we have the hope of heaven, we don't even hope like other people. For goodness sakes, I hope that we get cake for lunch, amen? We don't know if it's gonna happen. It may or it may not, but that's not how Christians hope because Christians know it just hasn't happened yet. Christians absolutely know that he's created a place for us. If he leaves us, he'll return for us. He's prepared a mansion for us. It just doesn't happen yet. We don't hope like other people. We know and we wait. Until then, we can rejoice. Third, Christian joy comes from seeing your prayers answered. You know what? If we went back and just considered, how many of you keep a prayer journal? Anybody? What a wonderful, marvelous thing to do. Keep a prayer journal. Start it this week. And then go back a year from now and see how God has blessed you. Because you'll forget. And if you forget, you'll be without joy. Do you remember the story of the ten lepers? The ten lepers cried out to Jesus, Come, we have a death sentence in our flesh. Come, cleanse us and heal our bodies. And Jesus responded to them. And nine of them ran off going to rejoice with their families or whatever. Only one came back, Luke 17, 15. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face and his, at his feet, giving thanks to God. This leper was full of joy because he had been cleansed, because he had been healed, because he had been given new life. How many of us could say the same thing about our life? That we have been cleansed and healed and given new life. You know, this week, I keep my prayer list and I type it up every week. And, and so I went back to April 2014. And then I went to April 2015, 16, 17. And I get to tell you, my soul was filled with joy as I considered how God has answered your prayers. Let me mention just a few. And, and if you think I'm talking about you today, you can just rejoice. You can just say amen. There was a woman last week came to church to visit, and she said, uh, I don't know if I can come back here or not because, you know, I like to say amen. And I said, you know what? You just go right ahead. We could use a few more amens. We could, we could chew. We might even let, let our face know that we're feeling joy in our heart. There you go. <laughs> Let me just mention a few of the things I came across. And my heart swelled and filled with joy. If you're the person I'm talking about, I won't mention your name, but you feel free to say amen. Or you might just stand up right in the middle of the sanctuary and raise holy hands and give glory to God. 2014, there was a woman that came to church and she discovered the doctors had told her that she had a mass in her body. And can you imagine how terrified she was? And she asked the church to pray. And a few weeks later, after the church had prayed and the family had prayed, she went back and the doctors were what? They were confounded. There must be something wrong with the machinery. Because why? We can't find anything now. Oh, it must have been a misdiagnosis. Don't go there. Don't pray to God. And then when he answers, you blame it on a broken piece of machinery. Give glory to God. 2015. We gathered around the unconscious body of one of our dear brothers. And that doctor came in and he began to prepare the family for the absolute worst. But the church prayed. And there were people around the world that prayed. And he got up out of that bed. And then since then, he's traveled around the world. And he's been a blessing to me. And he's been a blessing to his family and to his church. And somebody should say, Amen. One young woman received a possible diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. 
She went into the doctor, and the doctor said, I think it's MS. We're going to have to do some more tests. And oh, how we run to the church. We run to our families. Please pray for me. She went back. No, it's something else entirely. We can handle this with medicine. A mother came into the church and asked for her daughter who had terribly broken legs. I've never seen so many bars and screws and all of the appliances that they put on that young girl's leg. But she's home and she's living happily with her mother, mother today. One of our te- teenagers came in. She had to have surgery on her back. They weren't sure how it was going to affect her. Now she's a star athlete because prayer is powerful and we need to give glory to God. 2016, a man was diagnosed with a spot on his lungs, and prayers were lifted up. And again, more tests were run, and my goodness, we don't understand. There must have been something wrong with the machinery because the tests show that there are no more spots. One man broke his wrist, and the church prayed, and today he's active. He's singing in the choir, and we rejoice with him. One woman asked for prayer for her unborn child. I'll never forget, we were in the we were in the fellowship hall, and this young woman came up to me, and she had such anxiety in her heart, such anxiety in her spirit, that the words just coming out, kept coming out faster and faster. I'm concerned for my unborn child. You've got to pray. We've got to have the church pray for my unborn child. And the church prayed, and that child was born perfectly. And now that little baby is helping her mama take care of her little sister. 2017, a woman asked for prayer. She anticipated knee replacement. And I was so blessed to see her walk up to the cross on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday. One young special needs man, a boy, he needed a special home. And the church has prayed. It hasn't been easy. It's been complicated. But God's worked miraculously. And now that boy has a wonderful home. One man spent weeks and then months at Chapel Hill, and the heart of the church broke and cried out to God, and today he sings in the choir, and he serves God in his church. And listen, shouldn't we be people who rejoice fully? And prayer continues in 2018, and yes, our prayers are not always answered like we would prefer sometimes. Sometimes our loved ones are healed perfectly and taken home to be with Jesus because that's very much better. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves it will all work out in the end, and if it's not worked out, it's not the end because these are just the the middle chapters of the book. These are just the center part of the story because God is going to come through because he, he does. He hasn't forgotten you, says Isaiah. He has redeemed you. He's madly in love with you. And these are just the middle chapters, and a great victory is coming. So why not go ahead and just rejoice? Rejoice. Because that's the default setting for Christians. Lastly, Christian joy comes from fulfilling your spiritual gift and watching other Christians grow around you. Christian joy comes from watching the success of the gospel. A couple weeks ago on a Sunday night, we had a first impressions. We, we want to make sure that when guests come to this church, they know that they're welcome and that they're loved. It's that simple. He loved us, therefore we're going to love them. 
We're going to do it sincerely, and the doors are wide open, our hearts are wide open, and that's just the way it is. Well, we had that first impressions we, team. We were going to meet with them. We were going to talk about it, and, and we've got some new leaders that I'm very thankful for, and I looked over to one of the leaders as we were kind of going through our training, and, and this woman, she was just vibrating. Oh, she was just excited about what was going on. She had found her gift, and she had found her place in the church, and she's just over there vibrating. And it was like a hand in a glove, except that hand was just vibrating. And at one point, she just couldn't contain it anymore, and she just got up and started talking about how happy she was that she'd found her ministry, and she was rejoicing over it. And I just want to say thank God for vibrating, joyful Christians who have found their place and are serving Him, because joy should be our default setting. Amen? Listen, if you're in a joy deficit, here's what I want you to do this week, maybe even today. If you're really struggling, if you really just know that your, your joy meter is on empty, you go home this afternoon and you just bow your head humbly and pray the most simple and profound prayer. Lord Jesus, how may I serve you in your church? You pray that humbly. You pray that heartfelt and then hold on for a joy roller coaster. It won't always be easy, but at the end of the day, you're going to find joy like nowhere else in the world. Christian joy comes from watching the success of the gospel. A few weeks ago, Sandy asked me to teach a small section in Awana. Awana is our kids' ministry on Wednesday nights, and we're having about 30, 25 to 30 kids come every week, and and so she asked me to teach just a small section in Awana, and I'm not sure what her motive was. I began to think it was because she was angry with me about something. Because the result of that was I just about lost my mind with these kids. I don't know what the problem was that night. I don't know if we'd fed them too much sugar or what, but they were W-I-L-D, capital, wild. One little boy. One little boy, we, we were talking about uh, Jesus and, and, and his resurrection, and, and we'd wrapped him all up in toilet paper like Lazarus, and whoo, he was going to bust out of there, and that was fun. And then we were trying to get him to sit down and talk about some serious things, you know. One little boy just kind of kept getting up and walking around. And I'd kind of got him back to his chair, and then he'd get up and ask some kind of weird question. I didn't know what was going on. It's just kind of some nonsensical question. And I was saying, Sandy, what did I do to you? About that time, little Jordan Brown, he started answering the questions that this little boy was trying to ask. And he was kind of interceding for me. Because there was something in his heart that wanted to do and he wanted to say the right thing. Because his mom and dad had planted a seed of faith in his heart. And his Sunday school teachers have come alongside and as Awana leaders have nourished it a little bit and the Spirit of God has blessed him. And you see, if I wasn't careful, I would have been focusing on the wrong thing and I would have missed the feeling of joy of witnessing a little acorn in the process of transitioning into a mighty oak. And I was very close to losing it. I'm telling you, these kids were out of control that night. I was ready to go into daddy mode, full army officer, and King Kong all at the same time. But I'm thankful I didn't. Because what I needed to do was remember that the church is the very best hope 
for some of those WILD children. And that when they get WILD, that we need to be L-O-V-E for them. We know that there is rejoicing among the angels over one sinner who receives Christ. Luke 15 says it this way, In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's our joy as well. It happened to Jordan. We hope and believe it will happen for others. John 3, 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than hear my children walking in the truth. We just have to hold on because we're different than other people. Our joy isn't transitory. Our joy can transcend whatever circumstance that we're in. Our joy is deciding that God is in control and in God we can have peace And it all works out in the end. And if it's not worked out, then it's not the end. Because our joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice, the choice to praise God in all things. So rejoice. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift to come and to know that you have not forgotten us. That even in the midst of the great storm, it seems to me, Holy Father, that's when you shine the brightest. I pray for those that may be struggling with a lack of joy in their life, that you would guide our thoughts, our vision, to the good work that you are doing around us and even through us. And in that, we would be filled with joy. I pray especially for those, Father, we join our hearts together because we know that there are some that are struggling mightily, that joy is the farthest thing from their mind, just survival, just the next step. So yes, Holy Spirit, walk with them and lead them to joy. We especially pray, Father, for those that do not know your beloved Son, Jesus, because he is the source of joy and life. And so if there's someone here today that, was, that is as empty as I was, Father, may your Spirit speak to them, and this be the day they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We pray these things in the holy and beloved name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.